following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, good morning, Fathom Church. So great to be with you this morning. Again, another happy birthday for you. If we haven't met yet, as you said, my name is Joel Cathy, and I'm one of the pastoral interns here, and I also run the Young Adult Ministry. So this morning, as you said, we'll be continuing our study through 1 Samuel, and we're actually going to be in chapter 18. So actually, if you want to go ahead and join me there in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 18, there are black Bibles underneath every chair, and that is on page 241. I already found it for you. All right, so as y'all get there, I wanted to ask y'all, do you remember those action movies with like secret agents or secret missions and stuff like that. I'm talking like Bond, James Bond, or Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible, or my personal favorite, Jason Bourne. Love, love those kind of movies and those characters, right? They're really engaging to watch, or for some of us perhaps. But what is at least one thing that all of those characters have in common? Besides maybe being ridiculously athletic and being able to fall from practically any height without a single scratch. What do they all have in common? They can do it all, right? They can, they can fight, they can plan, they can organize, they know every language, they use all the high-tech gadgets, or can like MacGyver, another one, something together to, for the mission. They're like a one-man army, right? They have some sidekicks sometimes, some help, but for the most part, they do it all themselves. I mean, that's what grants them the title card. Jason Bourne, he's, he's the guy. So, so why am I talking about these guys? I'm going to propose this morning that as Christians, we have a tendency to be a one-man army, trying to be that one-man band with our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth, trying to be like a Jason-born Christian, which sounds kind of funny because who wouldn't want to be that? That sounds super cool. I want to be that. But I want to draw your attention to a tendency you might have to be spiritually isolated in your walk in your growth, not truly being reliant on others, not truly being open or accountable when it comes to your spiritual growth, or at least maybe when you do share, not the more embarrassing things, maybe, the hidden sin in your life. You don't, you don't like share that. You don't really open that up because it's embarrassing. You, kinda, you manage it yourself. You want to be by yourself in it. So our primary focus today is going to be on the idea of intimate biblical friendship, that's going to be our idea today and, this, and what it actually looks like. Now, as we dive into our text today, I'm going to, I want to ask you two important questions, and we're going to kind of discover their meaning along, along the way. And there, there are these. First one, do you have a Jonathan in your life right now? That's the first one. And second, are you being a Jonathan to someone else? Those are the two. Do you have a Jonathan? We're going to call him a Jonathan in your life. And are you being a Jonathan to someone else? Now, I want to go ahead and address something before it happens. Um, If your name is Jonathan, (laughs) or you have a child named Jonathan, and you already know the funny comment you're going to make to me after service, I'm going to go ahead and address that now. Like, yes, you're Jonathan. That's that's hilarious. Great. (laughs) Good, Good one there. You did it funny. So this idea of biblical friendship is a fascinating concept with elements that I think are quite foreign and a little absent in our relationships and our friendships today, as we'll see. Um, according to Barna, which is a Christian survey program, said that 56% of Christian adults feel like their spiritual walk is entirely private, entirely private. 
Uh, the Christian Post also gave some stats on that. It said that 30, um, 30 years ago, 55% of men uh, reported having six, at least six close friends, and that today that number's been cut in half, that only 27% of men actually say that they have those kind of close friendships, and that 15% of men said they didn't feel like they had any close friendships at all. The word is remarkably clear about the importance of fellowship and friendship in, basic, in, a, in a biblical way. And as we'll see in our text today, the value of that kind of intimate one-on-one friendships too. The word commands us of this. I'm going to roll through some scriptures. 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 27, 17, y'all probably know this one, or probably could finish it for me. As iron sharpens iron, so another man uh, sharpens another. One man sharpens another. We've seen an example in Acts, Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And a part of what we read this morning, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Church, is this happening for you? I implore you to self to, to reflect on this. Is this kind of intentional fellowship and mutual encouragement happening in your life? Actually happening? Because as we can see, we're called to do this. We're called to this. And that God supplies great spiritual strength and encouragement when we do. And so as we'll see in our text today, we're moving along in David's story now in Israel through 1 Samuel. And as we heard last Sunday with, uh, Dave, with uh, David conquering Goliath and his resolve, as, uh, as Justin talked to us about, now he encounters our man, Jonathan, who we studied last year. So let's dive right in. Uh, so 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Now, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul... The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We'll stop right there. So as we can see, this interaction appears to be in context directly following chapter 17, where David has just slain Goliath. And Abner, the army's commander, brings David to King Saul per his request. And he is still holding the head of Goliath, by the way. So that's kind of gross. So this is the first recorded time we have David and Jonathan meeting. Now, as we can see, this interaction goes far deeper and more intimate than, I'm going to call it the bro-nod. You ever heard of this? You you, you know this if you've seen it. I've probably done this to you. (laughs) If not, this is any time two guys are passing by one another, either at the gym or at work or after killing a giant. It's when two guys go by and they they do this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've totally done this. There's the nod. It's, it's down, specifically. It's a sign of respect from, from one man to another. I, th- I think there's some, like, cowboy heritage of, like, I, I tip my hat to you kind of thing. It's not up, specifically. It's not, it's not that. That is a territorial threat, actually. <laughs> so, just to enlighten you on man's nonverbal communication, that's, that's what that is. So, this is clearly deeper than the bro nod. This is, this is not that. It says that the soul of Jonathan was knit 
knit to the soul of David. So it's clearly some intimate language. What does the word knit mean here? Now, we usually don't use this kind of language or friendship uh, today. So initially, I thought it might be they're close. We use the term they were inseparable. Or like just the idea of physically knitting something together is bringing two separate things and making them one, right? So I think that, def- that notion is definitely part of what this means here. Uh, the Hebrew phrasing quite literally means to join together, to bind up. In actual other uses in scripture, it's used in the uh, context of conspiracy, plans of conspiracy, people, but the same concept, different people coming together with uh, sharing ideas and desires and a purpose. So this is my first point for what biblical friendship is or how we can do biblical friendship. It is connecting, connecting. Biblical friendship is connecting. Now, this idea of knitting together definitely brought to my mind uh, the old Mythbusters experiment. I don't know if you all remember Mythbusters back in the 90s, when they test different conspiracies over like everyday things. And there was one in particular that was if you, in, if you had two phone books and you interlap inter, uh, the pages together, it would be impossible to pull them apart. That was the myth. That was the theory. And so they tried that. They got, they got two phone books, and like page by page, or like small section by small section, they interlapped it facing, facing together. And then they put harnesses on the backs of those books, and they tried to pull it apart. So first they tried with just like two people, like one on each side, and they're just pulling it, and they could not pull it apart. Then they got a whole team of people, like put a rope on the harness, like a big old tug of war kind of thing, and they were yanking on it and the books would not come apart. The last thing they tried was they got two forklifts. <laughs> so some heavy machinery, attached the ropes to them and then tried to pull them apart. So in the end, the, uh, the backs of the books, like the spines of the books, was actually started to break, but the pages did not actually come off. That's, that's wild. So it proved that it was correct. Not even a forklift could actually pry them apart. I think this is a great visual comparison for the idea of knitting oneself to another, being inseparable in that way. Their souls were united. Now, the Hebrew uses the word soul in many ways, but a big one is that it's the seat of all emotion and passion. It's the activity of the will. That's kind of what the soul was. And it says that they were bound together in that. And not to spoil, I'm not going to spoil because I know I'm in a series and I'm preaching my own thing. Not to spoil the rest of David and Jonathan's story, but their friendship was greatly tested. Many, many things tried to pull them apart, but they were locked in. They were interwoven into each other's lives and their well-being. They were connected. Now, for the second half of the verse, it says that he loved him as his own soul. And we actually see the spoken command of this. Uh, from Jesus in Mark 12, when he was asked about the greatest commandments. I'll read it for you. Uh, Mark 12, 30 and 31. He says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. This idea of selfless, others-focused love is fully demonstrated by Jesus. We see, we see it here, but ultimately we see it in Jesus, in his life, in ultimate sacrifice. To love and serve others in the light of his love as you would for your own being. Now again, I ask you, 
If I were to ask you to check the pulse, my, my college students will know I, I kind of talk like that. You check the pulse of your spiritual and biblical friendships right now. Are you connected with a godly friend? Not wanting to be, but like right now. Are you connected with a godly friend like this? Someone you're unified. Maybe someone besides your uh, romantic or your um, spouse, your romantic partner or spouse, um, if you're in that place, but a person that you can be vulnerable and accountable with, who knows your struggles and can empathize with you and walks alongside you. Does anyone immediately come to mind? Why or why not? I'm here to tell you that you need this in your life. You need this. You're called by God, and you need this for your spiritual growth and your walk. You need to be connected and connecting in biblical friendship. Now, I do need to address something on the more serious note um, in this passage real quick. As I said, this kind of intimacy, specifically male intimacy, is kind of foreign to us and can be a little uncomfortable, right? In fact, there are those who uh, would use phrasing like this and other moments in David and Jonathan's uh, intimate friendship uh, to support the notion of same-sex romantic relationships. And I, I need to speak to that. I need to speak that briefly and directly just with this text as an outright misuse and a misunderstanding of the scripture. Now, this is a kind of platonic male friendship, and we, this is seen throughout history. And a platonic simply meaning here a deep, intimate friendship that's not romantically based, that's not sexually based. For example, in World War II, in the letters and the accounts between men on the field, they became so bonded together as brothers that they, they talked like this. They used this kind of intimate language, but without any implication of like a sexual or romantic founding for that. Even Theodore Roosevelt, debatably the most, the most manly man president, used this kind of intimate language in his writings with his friends. It's a depth of friendship and a brotherhood that I think might, be, that might feel quite foreign to us today, if we're honest. It feels too, too intimate, maybe, too vulnerable. If anything, I believe this to be a great encouragement to the single Christian, the one who's, who's not yet married, that there is a deep, fulfilling, intimate relationship that is still available to you, that is still available to you in your singleness that we see lived out here by David and Jonathan and their love and support for one another. It's still available to you. Now, as we continue in our passage, we'll see another side of biblical friendship. If you would follow along with me in verses two and three, it says, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. We'll stop there. So Saul calls dibs on David officially. He's seen the, the talent and the skill of this young man and sees he's clearly worth having, a lo- having around officially. We, and with his reward for killing Goliath, he's given uh, the king's daughter, so he's brought into the royal courts. So this, this makes sense why David is no longer with his family, but he's in relation and service to the king. So that kind of what speaks to that verse. But more importantly, as we see in the third verse, Jonathan has not only knit his soul to David, that his passion and his will are now deeply connected with his like-minded brother, but it says that he made a covenant of friendship between them. Now, we've seen many examples of covenants uh, in the Old Testament, primarily from God to man, 
We see his covenant with Noah and creation that he would never wipe out all creation again, what they were meant to do going forward. There's the Abrahamic covenant that he would bless his descendants. They would be numerous and a blessing to all people. There's the Mosaic covenant and the Israel's obedience to God uh, to gain his favor and his wisdom. But this is one of the first times we see in scripture a covenant besides marriage from man to man rather than from God to man or man to God. This was also called a unilateral covenant, a unilateral covenant. And that basically means it puts all the responsibilities and commitments on only one party of the two parties, one of the parties directly in that. In other words, Jonathan was committing himself to David without directly demanding the allegiance and the commitment back, at least not directly. How, how wild is that? And that is my second point of biblical friendship, is that biblical friendship is committing. Biblical friendship is committing to one another. And actually, we see the same kind of love language occur back in 1 Samuel 16, verse 21. It's probably, if you want to look at it, it's like one page over. It says that, and David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly. The same part of our phrase, as he loved him as himself, is also right here. And we, but as we see the story progress, we can see that the love Saul had for David was definitely surface level, definitely temporary and continuously changed with what was going on. Have y'all ever had a friendship like that? Just inconsistent, not great. I know I sure did. Uh, back in fifth grade, I had a friend, Cameron. And Cameron, if you ever see this, we're, we're cool, bro. It's just for the sermon illustration. <laughs> but we were in the same uh, baseball league together. I'd go to his house, and we played video games together. It was great. We were, we were friends. But then suddenly, one week, Cameron stopped talking to me, and we weren't cool. We weren't cool anymore. We weren't hanging out at recess. We weren't talking, you know, like big friendship stuff for, for, for a fifth grader. And I wasn't totally sure why. I was like, I, I do something. We had arguments. And, but then the next week... Me and Cameron were cool again. We were hanging out, and then the next week we weren't. So I'm like, I can't handle this emotional roller coaster <laughs> of a friendship with this guy. It was evident that we were far from a covenant friendship. We were not committed to one another. But here we have a friendship that is built on both a covenant and commitment that did not change with the circumstances. Jonathan was committed to his friend David. Again, I won't, I won't spoil what's to come, but Jonathan stayed loyal to his friend, and his commitment was deeper than his other loyalties, especially when they were sinful. Biblical friendship is committing to one another. So as we've seen, biblical friendship is connecting. We connect. It is committing. And as we finish our verses, I'll show, we'll see how commitment worked and that biblical friendship is costly, can be costly at times. I did the three C's, alliteration, pastor stuff. Follow with me in verses four and five. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set, set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So here, we not only see like the emotional interaction or intention, but then the physical acts of Jonathan. What does he do? 
He starts with giving his friend his priestly, uh, princely robes and his weapons. This, was, this is a great sign of respect and friendship between warriors. And you can actually see this in other ancient secular writings like the Homer in the Iliad. This was a very special gesture. Now, the gesture and the gift of his garments showed, just again, Jonathan's heart, his heart and his humility for his friend. As we saw in verse 2, Saul took David to live with him, right? He brought him into the courts officially. And Jonathan, who loved David as himself, ensured that his friend would not go to the court in tattered clothing of a shepherd boy, but rather in royal robes. That's the heart, and again, we, we, we kind of just skip over it, but note that he didn't just provide these things for David. It says that he gave them right off of himself. What, what humility is this? If you remember back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, you remember that Israel did not have any blacksmiths at the time. The Philistines ensured that. So the gift of also his weapons to David were not only symbolic, but but valuable and costly. Swords were like super, still super scarce in Israel. So this act was incredibly costly to Jonathan. He honored him. He saw God working in his brother and chose to honor him above himself. And we see this command like perfectly laid out in the New Testament, Romans 12, 10. I'm going to put this one on the screen. Be devoted to one another in love. And honor one another above yourselves. Now, I think it's important to note also that Jonathan had considerably more experience uh, than this kid. (laughs) He was the king's son. He had authority and resources. He was the crown prince, like next in line for the throne. We're not entirely sure if if, uh, Jonathan knew that David had already been anointed king instead of him to be the next king. But regardless, his humility and his response shows his heart and how it didn't matter the cost that he was going to support his friend and step aside for him. He was the rightful heir to the throne, a godly one too. And now here comes this teenage shepherd harpist from Bethlehem who wins the day. And conquers the enemy. Now, our man Jonathan could have responded in a plethora of different ways towards this guy. He could have easily went into comparative pride, easily. Could have thought or said, like, well, I mean, I killed an entire garrison of Philistines. This guy just killed one. I mean, he was a big one, but he still just killed one. Now, that, that does, for, for a sec, make me think of the scene uh, in The Last Lord of the Rings, if you've seen it, uh, The Return of the King, if you're familiar. It's when um, Legolas the elf and Gimli the dwarf are like in this competition of like, who can get the most kills in battle. And then Legolas like takes out an entire battle elephant. <laughs> and then Gimli's like, that still only counts as one. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He sees his, his friend, his now friend David, in godly victory, standing up for what's right, and he embraces him. He embraces him. He sees the same fire and passion for God that he himself has, and instead of comparing himself or setting himself above David, he commits himself to a bond of friendship. He chooses to honor him in spite of his own gain and honor, and it's costly. Lord, give us this kind of humility for the sake of the kingdom when we need it. Let me ask you, church, when was the last time you were a godly friend 
friend to someone and it actually costs you something. It's actually costly for your active friendship or what, you, what you've done. So I'm, I'm gonna enlarge the, the picture of biblical friendship just for a sec. I think there's many friends, many kinds of friends we have in this life besides, say, really close ones. And I'll go ahead and give us just a few. I said we have friends of convenience, we have friends of advantages, and then I'm going to call them we have friends of purpose. Now hear me, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these friendships in themselves. You, kind of, you question your, pers- your uh, primary motives, but I implore you to be aware if you only seem to have one kind of friend in your life. A friend of convenience. I think that's someone you're friends with because you just happen to be together at work or at school, in your daily life routine in some way. Your, your friends, better term might be an acquaintance. There's no real depth. There's no real conversations that happen. But st- with, these relation- with these friendships, nobody gets in nobody's business, though. But there's no depth. You don't actually help each other grow, as we're called to. A friend of advantages is one where you can personally get something by being friends with them. You're friends and you're friendly, maybe because they can put a good word in for you with y'all's boss. Or maybe even for my students that you could get answers from a, for a test from them. Or maybe even that so you can be associated with a higher class to, be, to feel or look better. There's always some kind of monetary gain involved with your friendship towards them. And then I'm gonna say that there's a friends of purpose. This is someone who it might actually be difficult to be friends with. You have to be purposeful to be friends with them. It's not natural or easy. Someone different than you, maybe difficult to engage with, doesn't seem to, quote, offer you anything in their friendship. It might even be costly to be friends with them. But God calls us to love on them, doesn't he? The least of these, as it were. So my question to you is, who are your friends? Who are your friends and why? Where is God in your friendships? And we see this as our brother Jonathan has demonstrated. And yet it's still a mirror to God's ultimate example of sacrificial action and, as I quote, friendship to humanity in Jesus Christ, humbling himself by coming as a man. Now, as as this section concludes, we see in verse 5 that God blesses David with great victory in battle. He said that he stood up, as he stood up in front of the armies of Israel, he's now put in high ranking above them, and that David finds favor with the people of Israel. And I'm sure that since there was no power struggle between Jonathan and David, that that was definitely part of it, their friendship. He even says that it was favorable to Saul's servants, who were the ones who were supposed to have only devoted favor to the king. And again, more on that to follow as we continue in 1 Samuel. Now, as we bring this home, I'll restate my questions to you. Do you have a Jonathan in your life right now? And are you being a Jonathan to someone else? I believe we can seek these kind of biblical friendships where we embrace a truth that's really within the questions themselves, and that's this. You find your Jonathan by being a Jonathan. Again, you find your Jonathan by being a Jonathan. It's not, it's not a matter of, of you being like David and waiting around for somebody to recognize your awesomeness and how godly you are so they can honor you and befriend you. It's not, it's, it's not that. 
Rather, you should be seeking and observing the strengths in others and supportively joining alongside of them. I think that's our call. Because here's the truth, again, larger. You are vulnerable without community. You are vulnerable without community and close friendship. There's no sugarcoating that. Without solid biblical friendship in your life, you will struggle. You'll be plagued with hidden sin. You cannot simply have just Jesus in me, as controversial as that might sound. Yes, you must have a personal walk with Jesus, with with the Christ first. But you were never meant to walk that all by yourself. You weren't meant to walk that all by yourself. We were made to walk with each other, as we saw at the beginning of our time, with what the word says. Of course, our Lord must be the foundation of all of this. Now, if this idea of intimate biblical friendship sounds hard to you, maybe a little messy, maybe you've never actually had someone this close or like using this language that you're connected with, you're committed with, who you would sacrifice and be in it cost, it's okay. <laughs> I encourage you, it is okay. God, praise God that we seek him in our circumstances and that he hears us and he's overjoyed when his children seek him for walking in his way. Especially in adulthood, this idea of biblical friendship can sound super hard (laughs) to maintain, right? I'm sure you all know, well, not like just the emotional side, but like the practical side of taking this time. Like back in in grade school or undergrad, your your friends were kind of laid out in front of you. It It was a little bit simpler, a little bit easier to find good friends. But now with work and scheduling, it's just kind of hard. It's actually hard to to schedule this. It takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes vulnerability. But the joys and the spiritual refreshment and growth of having a spiritual brother or spiritual sister to walk with, to stumble with, to sprint with, is beyond worth it. So our first step in seeking a David-Jonathan relationship or friendship starts with the basics. So one, you fellowship with others. You gotta get out there. So here's, I'll walk you through the steps. Here's what you do. You take your right foot, you rotate it 90 degrees, and then you go to a small group. (laughs) That's what you do, you gotta get out there. You gotta get out there, you gotta start building unity and friendship with your godly family, with your spiritual family. Now, with this kind of friendship, I think of the Roman turtle or tortoise. If y'all have heard this, I'm going to put a picture on the screen. This was a formation when a squad of soldiers, Roman soldiers, would advance towards an enemy while locking their shields together to form one larger defense against arrows and other projectiles. Now, one soldier can handle himself all right. But when another soldier comes alongside him, locking their shields together, they become each other's defense they become each other's defense and a force to be reckoned with. Now, this is, actually, this is a question that you could ask a, a brother or sister in Christ. You can phrase it like this, hey, you want to be part of my turtle? <laughs> I, you have my full permission to use that. <laughs> you want to be part of my turtle? <laughs> but this is the beginning. This is the beginning of connecting with people, interweaving your path with another who has the same fire and passion for the kingdom. Now, this isn't replacing your spiritual walk for a mutual one. It's not that. But it's, it's joining alongside someone and walking together, walking that way together and being each other's defense. Now, in this way, you're engaging in what's called multi-ocularity. 
and my college students will recognize that term, uh, ocularity is the number of eyes needed to see something. Monocular is sight with just one eye. Binocular, sight with two. But multiocular, multiocularity, is things that can only be seen with more than one set of eyes, more than your set of eyes. You need this, church. For your spiritual growth and your understanding, you need godly friends to encourage you and to challenge you on things that you don't see. Consider having an accountability partner of some kind, someone who loves the Lord, who cares about you, who you can begin to share with the harder struggles of sin in your life, the messy side, and then they can do the same. It's not easy. I'm not going to sugarcoat that either. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. Again, if that side of you is never brought to the light of accountability, it will fester in darkness. We see this in James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will help up his fellow man. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Try studying the Bible. This is a very practical thing to do. Try studying the Bible with a person, with another brother, talking about those struggles. Often it is more comfortable to do it one-on-one with someone who can offer you counsel and shared experience. You'll be surprised of the depth of the friendship and relationship you can get when you're committed, when you're connected with someone, when you're committed to them, and then when at times you sacrifice for each other. Do you have a Jonathan? If you don't, why not? Is it because you are not putting yourself out there? Or on the other hand, does it maybe feel like it's kind of the people around you, in in this phase of life at least, in that way that you just haven't found that deeper connection yet? And in that, I encourage you, hold on. Hold on and hold fast. Be patient. Be patient. God just might be preparing you for something like this. But you still got to be out there in fellowship. Just as God put Jonathan in David's life, God provides for what you need in your spiritual growth. He does. It might look different than this. It might look in a different way, different timing than you'd expect, but God is still working. God is still working and providing in your life. Church, believe that. Believe that. Maybe your prayer today is that God would show you who that person is or who that, who that people group are in your life who will walk alongside you, maybe even for years to come. Never forget, we have a God who provides. And from that, as I mentioned before, the other step of fellowship and cultivating biblical friendship is to strengthen and honor others. Strengthen and honor. As I mentioned earlier, develop the skill of observing others in their walks and their giftings. Speak encouragement to them. Come alongside them instead of just waiting. Not just waiting alongside to receive encouragement yourself, which is important. I'm not going to downplay that. In that, I'm not supporting the idea of being some kind of friendship doormat either. The fear of like faithfully committing to others and receiving nothing yourself. Which I confirm, when it, when it happens, it's hard. It is really hard. But I don't think the fear of that is a valid reason to isolate yourself. 
not committing and supporting others in their own spiritual walk. I don't think it's a valid reason. I'm talking about spiritual intimacy here, which in our individualistic culture today, it definitely sounds a little too intimate, right? Kind of sounds uncomfortable, too others-focused. And I think we might struggle with this for different reasons. Um, For men, I think I have a reasonable say in the matter, uh, we often struggle with the idea of vulnerability. We'll we'll stick with the bro nod. We'll, We'll stick with that. That's good enough for us. Modernly, it doesn't seem very masculine to share my emotions or my spiritual struggles with another guy. It seems weak, dependent on others, and I'm, I'm stronger than that. I'm, I'm a biblical Jason Bourne. I got this. Now, for women, I do not have a personal say. <laughs> but I asked my wife, so this, this is okay. You might, you might struggle more with comparison, where she's at versus where you're at. Or maybe the fear of, of overstating your advice and hurting her feelings or her doing the exact same thing to you. Even the fear of like desiring and trying to initiate this kind of friendship with someone and it not being reciprocated. That's, that's hard. And I think that goes for all of us. And again, I don't think these are universally foolproof, but I think they definitely have their impact in our lives and our, our reservations and our fears. But I think with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can walk forward in this. We can put those fears aside for the benefit of spiritual growth in biblical friendship. Not only our fears, but embracing humility, just like Jonathan did, sacrificing for others, coming alongside others, seeing the work of the kingdom and doing so. Now, to some degree, I think we'd all love to have a friendship like David and Jonathan, right? We'd still love, that'd be awesome to have like something like that. And to be honest, you're not gonna find it in every fellow Christian you meet. You're just not going to. That's where it takes patience, time, and intentionality to love and support others. And by God's grace, you'll connect with someone. You'll connect with someone with a similar fire and a similar focus to you who also finds you. But again, you have to be out there. You got to be active in encouragement. Now, this is not just merely finding your spiritual bestie, the one where you'll get like half a cross tattooed on your arm and they'll get the other half. And then when you like push it together, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not exactly what the, I mean, that's cool, but that's not what this is. But someone you can walk with, someone you can walk with, especially in the harder times of life, your wingman, your wingwoman, your Samwise Gamgee. I, I like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the one you can connect with and commit to And no matter the worldly costs, hold as a brother or sister in Christ. Not comparing your abilities, but spurring them on in theirs. For example, I may not be able to lead as well in worship as Anne or Amanda, or work really well with uh, Whisper or Kyle, where like as they can work with little kids, or or have the gifting of of wearing like super cool, unique shirts like uh, like Chris does. It's, It's like a new design every day. (laughs) but I cherish them. I cherish them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to encourage them in their walks as I share my own with them. Again, having a Jonathan and being a Jonathan is not easy. Times and seasons change, as you know, because I knew back in third grade that my friend CJ and I would be best friends forever. And we also talked about having a mansion and renting out rooms to our other third grade friends. That's true. I'm, uh, I'm in a slightly different spot than, uh, than I thought it was going to be. Things change. I think that does take discernment um, with the time and seasons and the people that you're with. And I've struggled with this, y'all. 
this, this, this has been a struggle for me. Looking back at my life, there's only a small handful of, of friends I can call my Jonathans. There's actually one sitting right there. But, and it's good to have more than one, actually. It's good to have more than, than one. In fact, I've seen, I think the Lord's shown me that we get some Jonathans for certain seasons of life. We're given Jonathans for certain seasons of life, and some of them will last that season, and some of them will last a lifetime. I think that takes discernment. But for the ones in your life right now, connect with them, commit to them, and sacrifice for them. It's so rewarding and worth it. It's so rewarding and worth it. Again, I'm speaking to you from a place where I'm still trying to establish and trying to figure out these relationships. So I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. I am. But we need this, church. We need this. You need this in your life. And God provides to have Jonathans, to be Jonathans to one another. So let's take these steps and walk in biblical friendship, always in the hope that God will provide the right people in our lives as we need them. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, just thank you again for the gift of today. It's yours. We surrender it to you. I pray, Lord, help us understand how we can be Jonathans, the phrase Jonathans, how we can connect and commit and sacrifice for one another. Show us, show us how to do this. We cannot do this. This is not natural or easy. Holy Spirit, sanctify our hearts. Show us those obstacles. Show us those obstacles that might be in the way of this kind of depth and this kind of friendship. And then give us patience. Give us intentionality and, and just prayer that as, as we do this, you provide. You provide, Father. Provide our Jonathans. Help us be Jonathans to one another and move forward in a godly way. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your holy and awesome name. Amen.